0: is the path of loneliness. Number one, you are never alone. We have a sovereign Lord who is in charge of everything. St. Francis de Sales said, strive to see God in all things without exception and acquiesce in His will with absolute submission. Some of you may be a little vague on the spelling of acquiesce. It's A-C-Q-U-I-E-S-C-E. And I'll read that sentence again. Strive to see God in all things without exception. And acquiesce, A-C-Q-U-I-E-S-C-E, in His will, with absolute submission. He goes on to say, do everything for God, uniting yourself to Him by a mere upward glance, or by the overflowing of your heart to Him. That means while you're cleaning the toilet or doing some task that you find difficult, you can unite yourself to God by a mere upward glance. Never be in a hurry That's a tough one, isn't it? Do everything quietly and in a calm spirit. Do not lose your inward peace for anything whatsoever, even if your whole world seems upset. Commend all to God, and then lie still and be at rest in his bosom. Whatever happens, abide steadfast in a determination to cling simply to God, trusting to his eternal love for you. And if you find that you have wandered forth from this shelter, recall your heart quietly and simply. Maintain a holy simplicity of mind and do not smother yourself with a host of cares, wishes, or longings under any pretext. And I'm aware that you couldn't possibly take this all down, but let me give you that last line again. Maintain a holy simplicity of mind And do not smother yourself with a host of cares, wishes, or longings under any pretext. We talked yesterday about that magnificent star called Antares, 390 times the size of the sun, a hundred and a quarter million times the size of the earth, and I think also of tiny little things which are much more uh, visible to us than the stars. A sovereign lord. We have a sovereign lord who is in charge of everything, including the hummingbirds. And did you know that the hummingbird, for its size, has the most powerful set of chest muscles of any creature in the universe? for its size, the hummingbird. And as you've all watched the hummingbird and see them, the way they can hover, trembling, and those wings are beating so fast that you can't possibly see how fast they're beating. But it's those chest muscles that make it possible for them to hover like that. And I told you about the if you were to take all the atoms and make them into sand in one teacup of water it would cover the state of Texas how deep? deep 50 feet deep good for you you're all taking notes like crazy aren't you Psalm 147 verses 4 and 3 verses 3 and 4 he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name and he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds." I love the fact that these two staggering things are put right together in that psalm. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name, and he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Stars, of course, are infinitely beyond any size that we can comprehend but we can certainly comprehend our own wounds, and the Lord heals the brokenhearted. Let's remember that we are never alone. And when we feel as though we are alone, remember that in acceptance lies peace. Some of you know the story of Madame Guillon, who was a French woman. She was married, she had children, but she was considered... uh, wrong theologically. And so she was put into prison for 40 years and had to leave her family and was uh, put into various kinds of prisons. One was a, a tiny little attic into which she had to climb with a ladder. And yet she was able to write most beautifully about the presence of God in that very lonely, isolated place. And this is one of the quotations from her. God uses many means to render his servants conformable to his son in whom he is always well pleased. But few place that conformity where it ought to be. It is not in voluntary pains or austerities, but in those which are suffered in a submission ever equal to the will of God. That surely must describe her acceptance of being put in this horrible place. Those which are suffered in a submission ever equal to the will of God in a renunciation of our whole selves which is just another way of saying Lord here I am all of me for you forever do anything you want with me renunciation of our whole selves to the end that God may be our all in all conducting us according to his views and not our own. Anyone here who has never said, Lord, why are you doing this to me? His purpose is always love. And his purpose is that we should be conformed to the image of his Son. To the end that God may be our all in all, conducting us according to his views and not our own, which are generally opposite to his. All perfection consists in this entire conformity with Jesus Christ not in shining things which men esteem. It will only be seen in eternity who are the true friends of God. Nothing pleases Him but Jesus Christ and that which bears His mark or His character. And if we're going to learn the lessons that we need to learn in the experience of loneliness which will come again and again in our lives, let's remember that it is that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. God has to shape us into the image of Christ and it does take loneliness in different times, different places, different ways in which he conforms us to his character, to his resemblance. And to conform is to shape in accordance with or to bring into harmony. And Madame Guillon says, My heart submitted to whatever it should please God to ordain. I was lodged in a little hole in straw to which I went up by a ladder. Never did I enjoy a greater content than in this little hole, which appeared so very conformable to the state of Jesus Christ. Can you try to put yourself in a situation like that and remain peaceful and thankful? in acceptance lies peace. Suffering with love, submission with resignation and sweetness, not weariness and discontent. Those were the things that characterized the story of Madame Guillon's life. And one of the things that I do want you to get firmly fixed in your minds is that it is always possible to do the will of God. Don't ever have the temerity to challenge God and say, but I couldn't do what you wanted me to do. Because it is always possible to do the will of God. Now, how do I know that? Did I make that up out of my head? No. It says, the Lord God will help me. Isaiah 50, verse 7. The Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. So the Lord can, he can and he will help you. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. This is my command, love each other. So in connection with that statement, remember it is always possible to do the will of God. So if there is a miserable person that you find extremely difficult to get along with, just remember the command is love each other. Not love the people that you love the most or love the people that are sweet to you, but love everybody. I did give you Psalm 147, didn't I? Yes. Okay, number two. Number one was you are never alone. Number two, our human condition. I think of Adam's aloneness before Eve was created. I don't know what interval of time there might have been, but Adam was the only creature, the only human creature in the universe. But God did not want Adam to be alone. And so the Bible clearly tells us that he made a gift, created a gift for Adam in the form of Eve. And if it had not been for their sin, there would never be such a thing as loneliness and pain and separation and fracture. But they chose to fly in the face of God's mercy and do their own thing. And, of course, Satan had come along and suggested to Eve... Did God say that if you eat the fruit here, you will, you will surely die? You won't die. You'll be a whole lot better off. And Eve, being a woman, swallowed that hook, line, and sinker, and then she went to her husband Adam and persuaded him to eat the fruit of the tree also. And so we have the reason why there has always been conflict between the sexes. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when Eve took the ascendancy. And what did Adam do? He just wimped out. He said, if this is what the little lady wants, this is what the little lady's going to get, fine, that's what we'll do. And so he accepted her evil suggestion instead of digging in his heels. Uh, You know, the Bible says in the New Testament that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church and no, I've got that wrong, the part about the woman is to submit to her husband as to the Lord, as Christ is the bride of the church. So when Adam took upon himself the desire to just go ahead and do what his wife said, he was disobeying God, he was helping to bring sorrow and suffering and evil into the world. Jesus says in John 14, 30 and 31, The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded. And Jesus was able to move with perfect serenity through all the sorrows and the trials of his earthly life. And he wants you and me to accept that same kind of serenity, which he is willing to give to us when we need it. The prince prince of this world has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded. And this meant going to the cross, it meant acceptance of the horrible torture that he had to go through, and ultimately a peaceful heart. He was able to say, even while he hung on the cross, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. And he wants you and me to accept the forms of loneliness in which God wants to purify us and to shape us into the image of his Son. So loneliness is a necessity. It is a part of our human condition. Adam's aloneness, then there was God's gift of Eve, then there was loneliness and pain and separation because of their disobedience. Then we think about Noah, I often think about him being given such a strange and solitary task as building this preposterous vessel on ground that nobody could ever imagine was ever going to be flooded. And I can try to imagine the poor man as he's working away in obedience to God, and his neighbors coming along and just shouting with derision at this ridiculous-looking piece of work that he was doing. And Noah just continued to do what God had told him to do. But it was a path of loneliness, I would certainly think. And we could go through the whole Bible with various shining examples. Abraham, Moses. And I was just reading recently in my quiet time, a passage that I always remember um, because I I can just imagine myself complaining the way Moses did. It's in Numbers 11. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic but now we have lost our appetite. We have never seen anything but this mat- manna. And then it describes what manna looked like. And Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance of his tent. And the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. You can imagine how lonely Moses was in being the one person who had to stand with God instead of against him. But he did have quite a few complaints to make to God, and he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And then listen to this in verse 15. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. I mean, talk about straightforward complaint right in God's face. God can take it. I mean, if that's the way you're feeling sometime, you might as well say it out loud because he's already heard you thinking. And Moses, of course, just dishes us out. He says, If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people. So that you will not have to carry it alone path of loneliness we could talk about Abraham we could talk about Jesus many other characters in the Bible I think particularly of Mary a little humble Jewish girl who lived in an out-of-the-way place called Nazareth which was sort of a joke town nothing good ever came out of Nazareth was the idea and she was a child probably between the ages of 12 and 14. We're told that Jewish girls would generally be betrothed at that age. So she was really a child, wasn't she, if somewhere between 12 and 14. And I try to visualize her perhaps sweeping the floor or kneading bread or weaving or something, when suddenly there's this shining visitor that comes with a staggering piece of news that she has become the mother of the Son of God. And she has one very simple, obvious question. How can this be? I have never been married. I have no man. And of course, God had given the angel the message to give to her that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and through that she would conceive and she would become the mother of the Son of God And there's not a word in the story telling of her complaining or going immediately to Joseph or to her parents. She kept these things in her heart and she just continued to do what God wanted her to do. Of course, logically, Joseph thought that she had been unfaithful and she did not... Uh, defend herself to Joseph. She didn't explain anything. But the Lord took care of that, didn't he? And the Lord brought to Joseph the explanation. Uh, She has not been unfaithful to you, but that which has been conceived in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I just love the picture of Mary traveling, apparently alone, whether she did or not I don't know, but she traveled to see her cousin Elizabeth who was also pregnant. And wouldn't you love to have known just what the conversations were that went on between Mary and Elizabeth but I guess the Lord decided we didn't need to know all those things but our human condition is part of this path of loneliness whatever the conditions which are laid upon us are there for purpose and they're there to shape us into the image of Christ and what a difference it makes when one knows God you thank God for the knowledge of him, just think of by far the greatest majority of the world knows nothing about him and yet you and I are just fed and blessed continuously and yet we complain sometimes of loneliness. William Cullen Bryant wrote a beautiful poem called To a Waterfowl. It was written in 1815. He was a young lawyer in Plainfield, Massachusetts feeling very forlorn and desolate, and he didn't know how to find a job as a lawyer. And he was standing at sunset watching a solitary bird flying across that beautiful sunset. And he asks the bird where he is going and why. It's a long poem, so I'll read just a part of it. There is a power whose care teaches thy way along the pathless coast. See, this is Bryant speaking to this solitary bird. There is a power whose care teaches thy way along the pathless coast, the desert and illimitable air, lone wandering but not lost. All day thy wings have fanned at that far height the cold, thin atmosphere, yet stoop not, weary, to the welcome land though the dark night is near thou art gone, the abyss of heaven hath swallowed up thy form yet on my heart deeply has sunk the lesson thou hast given and shall not soon depart this is the lesson that the bird gives to Bryant he who from zone to zone guides through the boundless sky thy certain flight in the long way that I must tread alone will lead my steps aright. We can be assured that God is going to lead our steps aright. He who from zone to zone guides through the boundless sky thy certain flight. In the long way that I must tread alone will lead my steps aright. And I think of the Arctic turn that I think I mentioned yesterday, did I? The Arctic turn that Is the bird that flies 12,000 miles from pole to pole? Well, it's the same one who guides that bird from zone to zone. And we're in a position right on the coast of Massachusetts where we can just watch the flights of many, many birds. We see the red crested cormorants that go by in great uh, formation, and it always looks so they're about that far above the actual ocean. And the way they can fly, and there's never a wing that dips into the water, but how it's, it, it, it appears to me from my window that it's about one inch above the water. But then, of course, high up there are the seagulls, and we have all kinds of other birds around us. Wonderful to think of the path of loneliness that God has ordained even for the waterfowl. There is a refuge remember that God is our refuge and strength a companion on the way as one translation puts it a very present help in trouble and he says I will never leave thee or forsake thee and that's in Hebrews but we can't really translate that adequately in English because in English as you know if you put two negatives in the same sentence, then they cancel each other out. If you say, we ain't got nothing, then the truth is that we do got something. So we can't, there isn't any way that we can string out negatives. We just don't have enough negatives in the English language. But in the Greek, the original language of that particular passage in Hebrews, um, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, it has five different Negatives. The best we can do in English is just to say, I will never, 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 never leave thee or forsake thee. But the original language has five different negatives. Five times as powerful. Number three, a test in this path of loneliness. There will be tests for everyone who wants to know God. And you know that beautiful poem, which is put to him tunes O love will not let me go I rest my weary soul in thee I give thee back the life I owe and in thine ocean depths its flow may richer fuller be O joy that seeketh me through pain I cannot close my heart to thee I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearlessly be. O cross that lifteth up my head." And he goes on, uh, the the cross is the last thing in there, but you've probably heard various stories about the reason why he wrote that hymn. I guess the most popular story is that his fiance had decided that she didn't want to marry him because he was going blind but I've read that this is probably uh, apocryphal. So a lot of those hymn stories, people, they're, they're, I keep seeing new books coming out with stories of hymns, and a lot of them are just not true. Uh, they were somehow garbled, and different people have written them, but I have heard that the story of Matheson really doesn't have anything to do with his fiance dumping him. But we do know that he wrote that beautiful hymn O cross that liftest up my head, I cannot ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. And so the hardest, most painful experiences through which God may take you are meant for our sanctification that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So it's never for nothing. When Jim and I had fallen in love in college and a whole year later he had graduated a year after I did and I had gone to Prairie Bible Institute then I had gone to work with the Canadian Sunday School Mission in Alberta, Canada, and I received a letter from Jim's mother inviting me to come by Portland, Oregon, on my way home from Alberta. Well, it certainly was a long way around to get from Alberta to Philadelphia via Portland, Oregon, but you can be sure that uh, I accepted the invitation. And the family was really not very happy when they met me. They chided Jim. They wanted to know why in the world he would pick a woman like me. They didn't think that I was good-looking, and I don't think they liked much of anything about me. But for some reason, it didn't change Jim's mind. But we were sitting one night on the side of the hill on which his family lived. They had a lovely view of, you could see Mount Hood, just shining in the moonlight that night. We were sitting on the side of the hill. And Jim was talking to me about the possibility that God might not want either one of us ever to get married. And he was quite sure that God didn't want him to get married, perhaps for years and he was right on because it was pretty close to five years. It was pretty, I think it was five and a half years from the time Jim had actually confessed his love for me. And so it was a very agonizing time for both of us, and it was very lonely when we had to part. And he took me to the bus station, and I took a bus from Portland, Oregon, to Philadelphia. And Jim was talking then about the necessity of seeing our solitary status as a gift. Most of us aren't real happy with a gift like that. Most of us would like to have a partner, a husband, as most of us would want. But Jim was, as he would say, just bursting with energy and desire for a wife and a family and everything else. But he was just absolutely convinced that that was not for him now. And so we talked about not having any claim over our own lives. You are not your own, the Bible says. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And so we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it is holy and acceptable unto God. And what happened to sacrifices that were given during the Old Testament times, well, they were burned up. There was nothing left of the sacrifice except the ashes. And the Lord is asking us at times to completely surrender ourselves, to be immolated in order that He may work through us in ways which we can't even imagine. Isaiah 43 1 and 2 are two they're verses that are among my favorite life verses. Fear thou not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God. And it was those two verses that carried me through the darkest nights of my life when we we widows, we wives did not yet know for sure that we were widows and it was about five days before we learned that all five of the men had been killed. Then in in the New International Version in verses 4 and 5 of that same passage, Isaiah 43, it says, Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Now, our loneliness is, number four now, a chance to die. Another way in which God teaches us to give up our right to ourselves. And it was when I was living with the Alka Indians in a little house that had no walls, no floors, no furniture, uh, just a thatched roof, six poles. My hammock was strung from two of the the poles. I had my fire on the ground beside my hammock, as everybody else did, and my daughter was sleeping on a little slab of bamboo almost under the hammock. And there were times when I would be sitting there by my fire. Everybody else went to sleep usually between 6.30 and 7.00 because they got up between 2.30 and 3 in the morning. And I would sit there looking at my fire and thinking to myself, what in the world is a woman like you doing in a place like this? How did this all happen? And nobody else was talking, and of course I couldn't speak very much of the language anyway, but I can remember this passage from 2 Corinthians 4 that just was... God's message to me over and over again. I don't have to have all the answers. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this light to the knowledge of the glory of God, We have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, let us not forget, ladies, we are nothing but clay pots. And clay pots are not of any interest to Alka Indians. They make clay pots. Nobody gives two hoots what the pot looks like. Everybody gives a whole lot of hoots about what's in it. But you and I are nothing but clay pots, and quite a few of us are crack pots. We have this treasure of jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, and I certainly was, but not crushed. We are persecuted, and I have to say I was not persecuted, but not abandoned. That was Paul's experience. It wasn't mine. Struck down. Yes, that I think I could... say yes to that in a few different ways, struck down but not destroyed. verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So then, death is at work in us. I skip verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And I could only trust that God had given me this passage to remind me that although I was totally useless and totally helpless in terms of what the Alcas could see because obviously I was too stupid to know how to do anything that a woman was supposed to be able to do they would ask me do you know how to make hammocks and I said no so they said well we'll show you so they would show me exactly what to do and of course I couldn't do it so they would throw up their hands and say well do you know how to catch fish with your hands no I don't know how to catch fish with my hands but my little tiny daughter who was three years old learned how to catch fish with her hands immediately so that made me look all the more stupid well then they wanted to know do you know how to find wild honey in the forest no don't know how to do that um, Do you know how to fish with uh, nets? No. So they threw up their hands. They said, what do you do? And, of course, I didn't do anything at all except walk around with either a Bible in my hand or a leather notebook. And they would look at it, and they'd smell it. And right away they knew that it was an animal, and they also knew that the pages were wood. They were that they were smart about all kinds of things but if ever I had a chance to die it was in that experience and that is why this whole passage has just become so alive to me because I was absolutely useless and stupid from their standpoint and yet God had put me there and of course there were some lessons that I learned and had to learn to speak the language etc. But in all kinds of ways, God is going to present to you chances to die. And I hope you'll recognize them when they come. Instead of thinking only of your own loneliness, and why doesn't God do this or that for me, why do I have to be in this position of loneliness? Remember, it's a chance to die. In order that the life of Jesus may be manifest in this mortal body. And that is the aim of my life, that the life of Jesus be manifest in this mortal body. Number five, participation in Christ's sufferings. Now that's also a staggering concept, that you and I, in our feebleness, in our humanity, are allowed participation in Christ's sufferings 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do you ever feel sorry for yourself? to the Lord something strange is happening to me this is a painful trial Lord well the antidote is rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ do not be surprised now I have some simple very practical down-to-earth suggestions as to what to do with your loneliness and I'll give you six things First of all, be still and know. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And there are times when we have to arrange stillness. It's not just going to happen. Number two, do something for somebody else. It's just amazing what can result from your stopping feeling sorry for yourself and sitting in a little puddle of self-pity when you just decide to pull your socks up and get up and do something for somebody else. Maybe it's for your mother or somebody else in the family. Maybe it's for some miserable neighbor that you really would like to avoid and the Lord is giving you the the privilege through your own loneliness of doing something for that person. Number three, and this is very necessary, refuse self-pity. Self-pity is demonic. I know that because when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem with the disciples, Peter tried to get Jesus not to go up there because he knew that Jesus was going to be killed. And so when Jesus had explained to the, to the disciples that he was going up to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes, and he was going to be killed. And Peter, I imagine, grabbed Jesus' arm. Now, it doesn't say that. Peter said, No, Lord, that must never happen to you. And what was Jesus' response to that? I picture Jesus swinging around, grabbing Peter by the arm, and saying, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking as God thinks. You are thinking as man thinks. And so Peter was trying to spare Jesus from suffering. And there are times when we have no right to spare somebody else from suffering. It's human nature for us to want to, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, it is not necessarily a requirement. But we, we, we must refuse self pity. And as soon as we start feeling sorry for ourselves and wanting everybody else to hover over us and shore us up and prop us up and all this, quit it. Just cut it out. Number four, remember you are not alone. the Lord is always with you. Always. Not for a second does he leave you alone. Number five, and I would call this oblation, O-B-L-A-T-I-O-N. It's just, it's a word that covers a great deal, but I'm using it in a very simple way here. It's just an offering up to God. And it helps me to make a physical gesture of this. If you're in a, quiet, solitary place where you can do this, just put all that loneliness that's just been weighing you down and making you feel so sorry for yourself, just put it, as it were, in your hands and make it an oblation. In other words, offer it up to God. And it's a wonderful spiritual principle that when we make this oblation, then God in his mercy comes down receives that oblation and gives us something else to offer to him and so all of life is an oblation we could talk about that for the rest of the day but when I go to my kitchen I'm making an oblation to God an offering up to God as I cook or as I clean whatever so this is number five of what to do with loneliness and number six which is not one that would normally spring to your lips give thanks Thank God for the loneliness. And read 1 Thessalonians where it says that it is always possible to do the will of God. It doesn't say that in those words. But John John 15:15, Jesus said, I have called you friends for everything that, is, everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. This is my command, love each other. And in Ephesians 3, I think it is, it says, Give thanks always and for everything. And that's probably one of the hardest disciplines because there are a whole lot of things that we might be able to give thanks in, but we don't want to give thanks for. And yet that's what the Bible says. So you can look up 1 Thessalonians. I can't remember what the reference is there, but Ephesians 3 says that we are to give thanks always and for everything. So be still and know, do something for somebody else, refuse self-pity, remember you are not alone, offer it up, and give thanks. And God bless you. Well, there's one little poem here that I can read for you. I think I have a minute, do I, Lars? I know that when the stress has grown too strong, thou wilt be there. I know that when the waiting seems so long, thou hearest prayer. I know that through the crash of falling worlds, thou holdest me. I know that life and death and all are thine eternally. I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today. And will keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms.